Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've had the conversation. I've had the conversation. So let's talk about it together. And the conversation I'm talking about is that, that friend, that coworker, that family member who says to you, I don't go to church anymore. Now this isn't, you know, a, a Muslim or a Buddhist. This is a person who once went to church, who's got some experience, and now, for whatever reason, they just don't go to church anymore. So I want to open it up. What are the top ten reasons? What's the top answers to that question, why I don't go to church anymore? All right? There's going to be participation here. You're bold. I know it. Number one, I'm too busy. Yes, life is crazy, and it doesn't matter what age you're at. <coughs> it could be the... Um, the high school kid who's got a job and a car and a girlfriend and just too busy. It could be the young parents who are uh, just crazy trying just to, to keep you know, the kids bathed and clothed. It could be the empty nesters that I gotta go to, up to the mountains to see dead leaves on the trees. I've got a football game to go to. I'm finally free. So whatever stage in life, I'm just too busy. What else? Politics. That the church is all about politics, and that is certainly true. Boy, you can go to some churches, and it's like going to a political rally. And if you're not on board, you don't belong here. Yeah, what else? I'm not good enough. I, know, I don't live in the right neighborhoods, I don't wear the right clothes, I don't drive the right car, I'm no, I don't have the right, right job. I come in here and I see a monolithic group of people and me. And if you knew the real me, you wouldn't like it. I'm not good enough. Difficult to, relate to everything else. Difficult to, yes. Certainly there are some churches in which the preaching or the music just doesn't scratch the itch that I have. Right. And I would add one more to that. To quote Homer Simpson, meh, meh. I mean, it's not bad, this church thing. It just doesn't intersect my life. It just doesn't turn me on. What else? Burnout. Wow, I did church for such a long time. You talk about the 80-20 rule? No, I was the 1% doing it all. Setting up and tearing down and Sunday school, and I'm tired and I'm burned out. Yes, that's real. Yeah. You know, the more and more isolated that we're becoming, especially during two years of COVID, to get back into community has been very difficult. We are losing some social skills here in two. It only takes a month to create a new habit in us, right? We've been doing this for almost 24 months. What habits are being created here? I'm not sure if I really feel like I belong. 
online is a two-edged sword, isn't it? On the one side, we want to make this available. You're on vacation, a soccer tournament, maybe you're sick, it's still available. We don't want to cross that line and become a crutch. We are better together than we are when we're scattered. Yeah. Science, yes. My whole you know, major, my whole career is in the sciences. And there is a disconnect at times between faith and science. You're asking me to check my brain at the door and come in here and simply accept something on faith. Yeah, so we've got the one not feeling worthy. That's on the other side here. I'm being judged. I'm being judged by those churchy folks that have their preconception about what it means that if you have this lifestyle, if you have this kind of uh, cleaning up your act, if you've got this going on, then you can join us. If not, go figure it out and then come back. Yeah, judgment. There's one more that I actually want to talk about today that I thought was at the top of the list, but I haven't heard it yet. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I think that's at the top of the list. You know, we could do a whole sermon series just on this right here. Uh, we could, it could be, why I no longer go to church. And with the tagline being, why I no longer go to church, now I am the church. Because certainly Christ South knows more than any other campus, the church cannot be focused on a building, right? <laughs> Thank God we're indoors. 22 degrees out there. We're thankful that we're even indoors, much like. But I, well, I promise, that's a strong word. It's my goal that we break ground this year. If the good Lord willing in the creek don't rise, we're going to break ground this year. That's, that's the goal for it there. But, but I think at the top of that list is, is hypocrisy. And typically it goes this way. Um, a person has a, a neighbor who's a good Christian church-going person, and they sued me because my fence is six inches into their property, and I didn't even put up the fence. You hypocrite! Or my boss, he is an elder of his church, and the stuff he's asked me to do, that's just not right. A hypocrite. Hypocrite. Now, that term hypocrite, of course, I think we've got this preconceived idea about what it means, and you're probably right. Meaning saying and doing one thing in one setting and saying and doing something different in another setting. So you're kind of a two-faced person. But you know, originally, that term was refer referring to the theater. That is, um, it was a compliment. You had an actor who could put on one mask and be one character in one scene, and then a completely different mask, a completely different character in another scene. It was a compliment for an actor to do that. But today, neither you nor I nor Jesus uses that term hypocrisy as a compliment, right? As a compliment. 
So with that, we're going to get into our text for today. It is a sermon series that we've been walking through in the book of Hebrews. And we're calling it Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. And we're on chapter 5. So I need to give us just a little bit of a running start to get up to chapter 5 in case you missed a Sunday or two. All right? Chapter 1. It begins by saying, In many and various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now he speaks to us by his son. All right? So many and various ways God speaks. Through a burning bush, through a pillar of fire, through the dreams and visions, even through a donkey, in many and various ways. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. That is, the son is the zenith, is the zenith of God's communication. In chapter 1, he talks about Jesus is more superior than, than the prophets, more superior than Moses, more superior than the angels. So of all the communication by Jesus is the most important. Don't give up. Chapter 2. In many and various ways God spoke, but also in many and various ways we rebelled and sinned against God, right? So for a time, this second person of the Trinity, the Christ, has to become Jesus in the flesh. Takes on the human, suffers, humiliated, and dies. For a little while, the the humanity of Jesus. And he dies on the cross for really some important reasons. First of all, for justice to pay the penalty of sin. Second of all, for mercy, so that you and I would never have to. Justice and mercy. All right? We move to chapter 3. Chapter 3 answers the question, why? Why should I not give up? And in chapter 3, the author talks about the exodus. God gives the people this great gift of of, of freedom from slavery, feeds and waters them throughout the exodus, brings them to the promised land. And what do the people do? They fight him the whole way. They worship and dance around a golden calf. They grumble and murmur, saying, I'd rather go back to the cucumbers of, of, of Egypt. And so God wipes them out. It takes 40 years, not because of the distance from Egypt to Canaan, but to kill off that first generation of complaining slaves so that the children come in. And so then God has an oath at the part of chapter 3. They shall never enter my rest. Harsher words have not been spoken. God telling his people, they shall never enter into my rest. So now we have chapter 4. How then, how is it possible for me, fallen, sinful, rebellious person that I am, how can I enter into God's rest? How can I receive his grace and his peace? Chapter 4 talks about Jesus as the great high priest. The great high priest, who is the perfect, he not only provides the sacrifice for the people, but he is the sacrifice for the people. He provides that perfect point to Jesus, look to Jesus as that great high priest. Okay? 
all up to speed, right? If you missed any Sunday, you got it all right here. This was the speed round. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 begins this way. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. We'll stop there. It was historically true. It was a man. Now, women had roles of prophet. Women had roles of judges. But they didn't have a role as a priest. And so the people then would, would select select a priest, a high priest among them. They would have to be in the family of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But they would select them. Let's go on. What was their job here? To present their gifts to God and offer sacrifices for their sins. So they're able to come up here to be able to give them that whole gift of that sacrifice. All right? Where am I here? There it is, to present their whole gifts. Um, I've been teaching this class with Pastor Ryan in the book of Hebrews up at, up at Providence on Wednesday. He's got this great illustration. Loved it. He says the great high priest's job is like Doc on Back to the Future. In one hand, he's got the cable going to the dead DeLorean. And on the other hand, he's got the cable to the lightning rod on the bell tower. And he brings that which is alive to that which is dead and brings them together. That's what the high priest does. Right there. That's kind of it, isn't it? Bringing it together. He's the coupler. That's what the high priest is. He offers sacrifice for the sake of the people, to the living God for people dead in their sin. But there's a caveat here. Next slide here with the, uh, uh, the verse. It's really good. It says this, and he is able, here it is, and he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weakness. Did you get that? They select someone to be their high priest. Not because they're the perfect person, but because they have embraced their fallenness. They understand that they are imperfect. And so then, the only way that this person, this priest, can offer sacrifice for all the people to bring that which is alive to that which is dead and bring it together is first get his own life in order. First go to God and first offer sacrifices for his own sins. And once that is atoned for, then he can bring in the rest of the world. And the final phrase here, this is why he must sacrifice for his own sin as well as those. All right. So you got it. Originally, now this changed. Originally, we're not going to pick the perfect person among us, but the one that truly understands that we are fallen and broken, and we all need God's grace beginning with me as the great high priest. Of course, that changes. 
Pretty soon they begin wearing these flowing clothes and the, the headgear, and pretty soon they become Pharisaic until Jesus kind of calls them whitewashed hypocrites. But it doesn't begin that way. But you can certainly see how it goes into that way, right? Because even today, I know it's true, even today, those of us who show up on a 22-degree Sunday morning when you could have a cup of coffee and a blanket and watching it on your computer, even those of us, we put on our church face every Sunday, don't we? You know what that is? The church face? You know what a game face is, right? Before the game, you put it on to intimidate. Some of the best game face is from New Zealand rugby team called the All Blacks. All right? Let's take a glimpse of their game face. They, they're, they're copying the war dance of the indigenous people, Maori. Now, that's a long, it's like three minutes, so if you want to see a game face, New Zealand, all blacks, rugby. Same thing. We, we put on a church face, don't we? A church face of, of uh, polished, pleated, permed, and perfect that we want to have it all together when we show up here. But inside, we're like that devotional from uh, Proverbs 31 struggling to get the little kids together and the, and the diapers and the snacks, and even then you've forgotten something. They get a little bit older, you got to yell, get out of the bathroom, stop looking at the mirror, we've got to go. Driving to the church in silence, everybody looking out their own window. There's just tension in the air, and then you come into the building and you got to put on your church face. We know it's true. We know it's true. But what is real? And what is authentic? I think they got it right way, way, way back that we're going to find somebody who's just as broken and messy as me to represent us before God. Because that hypocrisy just runs deep. Let me tell you a story. My first um, secretary here at Christ Lutheran never went to church. And so everybody on staff was also a church member. So I finally spoke with, with Mary. I said, I, you know, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. There's a story behind that, isn't there? <laughs> so you got to ask, well, why, why don't you go to church? And she said, let me tell you a story. She said, I always went to church. And then when I was in high school, we went on a high school weekend retreat. And the pastor was there. And the pastor and his mistress was there. He was married back home. But everybody knew 
that they would slip away and they were gone from the retreat. And no one said anything. It was an open secret in the whole church. She said, that's why I don't go to church. Because of one person, right? Because of one person. Well, after a while, of course, she began seeing our staff in action, and we are messy and imperfect, and we ask for forgiveness, and we extend grace. She started coming. And then she dragged her husband, who was never going to church, and he became an active, involved council member as well. And then got her son involved, and he's still in the choir up at Providence. But all it took is one person So this is what I'm saying with that hypocrisy. Our friends and our neighbors, they're watching us, aren't they? They're watching us. Not not to see how good you are, but they're watching us to how we can slip up. And see, that's the reason I don't go to church. Right there. Because of that one individual. Hebrews is talking about claiming claiming that brokenness, claiming that imperfection, claiming that Jesus didn't come for the perfect good people. He came for the broken. And when we claim that brokenness, then then we can enter into that rest of that grace and peace of God. You go 1,500 years further into the future, and you've got Martin Luther And Martin Luther coined a term. He coined a term, um, the priesthood of all believers. Now what does that mean? That we should all go to seminary, wear a collar, and take a vow of celibacy and poverty and obedience? No, no. Priesthood of all believers means that each one of us, each one of us has been gifted by God. Each one of us through our baptism in the Holy Spirit, have a calling. It's not a higher calling or a lower calling, it's a different calling. Martin Luther was up against a hierarchy. The Pope, the Cardinal, the Bishop, the priests, and then all y'all. He came from southern Germany. All y'all. Well, what Luther did was he leveled that playing field. It's not a higher calling and a lower calling. It is the doctor and the nurses and the PAs. Your calling is to heal people and to to bring forth wholeness. It is the teacher to go into that classroom prepared with, with creativity, to create curiosity in that child, that pupil. The stay at home parent to bring forth the nurturing and raising of the children to the, to the business person, to do it in an ethical way that's fair for all, for the pastor to do word and sacrament. You see, it's not a higher or calling or lower calling, just a different calling. And when you embrace that calling, when you, when you, when you see how the Holy Spirit has led you with certain gifts and you live that out, now we become the priesthood of all believers. Not perfect people. Just like Hebrews is saying. Not perfect. But caring for one another in this community. So, we started out with a question. Let's end with a question. 
And the final question is this. What do you want the world to see? That is, we're, we're not called to put on a game face, to have it all, what I say, say uh, uh, polished, permed, pleated, and perfect. That's it. Um, what do you want the world to see in you? I'll start. We don't want perfection because I will always disappoint you if that's the goal. I'm going to disappoint you. What else do you want the world to see in you? Love. That I'm going to err on the side of love. Love can take on a whole lot of different expressions. But the bottom one is I care for you. I respect you. And I love you. What else? Grace. I'm going to err on this side of second chances. This is going to be um, a place of, of forgiveness and grace. What else? Faith. Faith, faith. That this is not about me. It's not about um, uh, my appearance, but faith in Jesus Christ. We stand for something. And one other? Humility. Boy, if you can fake that, you got that made, huh? <laughs> no, humility is perfect. To be able to not look for the spotlight, not get the attention, not in it for the accolades, but humility. That is a huge one. Anything else? Honesty. My word means something. My, my word means something. There's a consistency between the work, the neighborhood, the church. There's, a there's the honesty. Ultimately, that's it. We can have the love and the grace. We can have the humility and the faith. But ultimately, we want the world not to see us. We want to see Christ who shines through us. That we, you see, the solution to hypocrisy is not to be perfect. The solution to hypocrisy is to embrace the fallenness. That we can live out our callings as the priesthood of all believers. Love, faith, humility, honesty. But most importantly, that they may no longer see us that they may see Christ who shines through us. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, you are good. We give you thanks that you are working through cracked vessels like us sitting here with messy, messy lives. And yet you have chosen the likes of us to be your ambassadors of light into a darkened world. Lord, it's overwhelming. It's daunting. I'm not good enough. And the answer is, of course you're not. But Christ is. And Christ's grace and forgiveness shining through us is good enough for the world to receive and turn to him. We give you thanks for worship, O oh Lord. We give you thanks to go out to be your light. We give you thanks for your Holy Spirit. 
In your Son, in whose powerful name we pray. And all God's children say, Amen.